Welcome to One Interview, One World. This is Lainey Kay, and this is a show about interviewing people from all walks of life because everyone has a story to share and we can all learn from each other. I hope you enjoy listening. So I'm more about forward looking. The decision you make today would decide what your company is going to be in the future. So I say things like, I think Starbucks uh, mentors, uh, CEO said this. So, so when you build the people, the people build the company, meaning focus on the people, meaning a lot of these company has a budget for marketing budgets, you know, social media, but they don't really work on the people. So if they, instead of throwing the money away, they will work with the people. And then you get the loyalty and trust and, uh, and absenteeism will go down and they'll they want to work for you. Hey, today I'm with Sam Hashiju. Sam's family immigrated from Shimonokan, Japan when he was eight years old. He grew up on his uncle's farm in the Coachella Valley. He has degrees from UCLA in chemistry and a CPA designation. He was also drafted into the Army. He is a certified public accountant, a managing partner with Takanaka, Hajiju, Jay, and Company in Tustin, California. He developed a hybrid accounting system, which he calls holistic accounting. Sam's entrepreneurial spirit has led him to diverse fields of business. Sam has participated in many business startups, such as water conservation products, biotechnology, nutraceutical, and many others. As a philanthropist, Sam founded Plant a Seed Institute in 2012, a nonprofit organization which mentors to inspire self-reliance by providing individuals with services that support education, career, and community development. So thank you, Sam, for being here today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. There are so many things that I want to learn about you. Why don't we start with what you can tell me about your childhood in Japan? Yeah, basically, like the, you know, like I had mentioned in the, before, going back to my childhood, even before my childhood it started, and meaning that my father was in the uh, Japanese Navy, and he was the Morse code and, with the Japanese naval uh, ship, and then they had a they wanted volunteers to stay on this remote island, kind of desolate island. So he volunteered to go, get off the ship and go on the island as a volunteer. So what happened was within a month of that event, the ship they was on was bombed and you know went to the bottom of the ocean. So if that would have happened, then he didn't volunteer. I wouldn't be here, obviously. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's kind of started my journey and uh, when I say there's God's footprints all over the decisions I made and one of the other major decisions I made was when I was in the service this was during the Vietnam era and it was still pretty high in there in um, 1970 so I have a degree in chemistry so by my I think junior in college I had already decided to switch to accounting so I started taking a lot of uh, accounting courses and got several jobs as a bookkeeper. 
bookkeeper. So when I was interviewing at the server side, you know, I emphasized that I was an accountant, had a lot of experience. So they classified me as an accounting specialist as my MO. So as a result of that, there, I think there were about 5,000 people in the uh, in Fort Ord, the training area. And two of us, another Chinese fellow myself, because I decided to go as an accounting specialist, we were uh, assigned to uh, Hawaii as a military intelligence group on Ford Island, which is in the middle of Pearl Harbor. So that one decision kept me from not having to go to Vietnam because it was still pretty heightened uh, in Vietnam. So that decision obviously helped me, you know, be safe and uh, enjoy my, you know, stay in the service. <laughs> you know, so it was like being in paradise, obviously. Yes. Yeah. So that's one of the major decision I made, and then there's another decision. What like my life, I've experienced everything from A to Z. Meaning that uh, as I was uh, starting my accounting business, I had three kids, and the one good thing I did was I, I coached them in basketball. Other than that, I was drinking a lot and playing around and having fun, and I did that until my age fifty or so. And, and then an event occurred with my friends of 20 plus years where we did a lot of things together, right? We party, drank together, and played golf a lot. So event occurred <clears throat> where I got, uh, I decided to leave that group of my friends. And that's when I did a 360 degree, 180 degree turn from being drinking and drunk and having fun, to uh, becoming more spiritual. I took a landmark form at the first event, and that changed my whole life around. I was, you know, I was really into ego, fast cars, and so forth. From there, I started taking a lot of spiritual courses, like Course in Miracle, and, uh, and a lot of books in the spiritual arena. So I kind of started um, on that path which took me to uh, an area that I mentor people actually in what I call law of attraction. Mm -hmm. And this year you're familiar with that law of attraction. So I did a lot of research in law of attraction area. And when I mentor people, that's the area that I try to mentor them because what's very important is your presence. How do you show up in life? Mm -hmm. Because you know, you got a hundred uh, straight A students. So why is the company gonna pick you, right? So it has, has a lot to do with the relationship with high energy, high frequency, high vibration, and that is all part of law of attraction. So as an example, let me give you one quick example. Uh, in my firm, I had my right-hand person. She, she's been with me about 15, 17 years, and uh, I would give everything to her. She would take care of it. So then, then I noticed that she wasn't feeling good or she didn't seem too happy to be here. And I just asked her, you know, what's going on? And she wouldn't really come out and tell me. So I said, look, I think if you go take this uh, landmark form, it, would, it might help you. So I, I said, I'll pay for it. Just, you know, take your time and take the course, so, which she did. So as a result of that, within a week of taking that course, she had the courage to come to me and say, Sam, you know, I, I have to leave. I got to help my husband and his business. And before she couldn't tell me that because 
she was loyal to me and you know i was pretty took care of her so she just she didn't want to be here but yes she can tell me that she wanted to leave because she kind of thought she would just kind of hang high and dry but but she did that for me and she did say that so so let's say she told me let's say today the very next day very next day my nephew who's also a cpa and then uh he's never been to my office and he knocks on the front door comes to the office and it just happened that his other firm they was working for they had a client in this general area so he was just walking around and saw my name on the door so he walks in and my secretary said, hey, your nephew's there. Would you like to talk to him? I said, yeah, yeah, let me talk to him because that was an appointment. But I excused myself and talked to him. And I said, hey, what's going on? He said, well, you know what, uncle? Uh, I've been in public accounting. They really beat you up, long hours, 80, you know, something 100 hours a week. So I'm, I'm thinking about going to private accounting. I said, you know what? Hey, you, you want to work for me? Opening just, opening just opened up just literally yesterday. So within a week, he told the other firm there was an emergency. So then he, he was in my office and got, you know, got acclimated by the other. And then he's, that was like 14 years ago. And that changed the course of my business because I had a major audit client, Japanese audit client, which is a big, big account, you know. And my staff was taking care of it, doing audits. And she was not too sure, confident about herself, about her audit skills. So she kept saying, you know, I can't take care of this anymore. And I, I've got to leave. I can't handle this account anymore. So when my nephew came on board and he took charge of that account and she helped him. And that kind of saved my major client because they were at that time about 30% of my revenue. So that was a big account. So that kind of saved my firm. And not only that, the lady that wanted to leave, but she can handle responsibility. She's still with me. And she's still working today with me. And she's been with, actually she's been here more than 45 years, longer than I have. So that's a, a, a great example of law of attraction where you you don't go to the place of, uh, oh my God, she left, what am I gonna do? Get anxiety, stress, you know, I, my mind could go anywhere, but I didn't do that. I just, I, you know, I supported her and, you know, just let her make her decisions. So. That's a, a great example of law of attraction works. And like I said, this is like God's hand and footprint all over this. And I'll tell you another quick journey uh, event that occurred. And I send you a photo of the uh, sunrise at Mount Fuji. I see it behind you too. Yeah, I have it there and I have it on the wall. And it was an epic event because uh, it all started where I wanted to go back to Japan to go to where I was born because I. I was born there, but never stayed there. We moved to Hiroshima, you know, when I was like two years old. So I didn't know Shimane Canary at all. So my uncle's been there. So he made an introduction to uh, two cousins that lived there, Shimane Ken. So I decided to go on my own to visit with him and see where my ancestor, but there's a samurai uh, cemetery plot there also I went to visit. So I, I told my friend Josh that, hey, you know, I'm gonna go to Japan. He said, oh yeah, I'm gonna go, but this is my personal journey, so I'm gonna go by myself. So we started talking. He said, well, let's, let's go afterwards and we'll go to Mount Fuji, climb Mount Fuji, because he likes to hike, I like to hike. So that's where discussion started. How old were you? I'm, I'm sorry? 
How old were you when you I did? I was 70, 72 when I climbed Mount Fuji, and it's about elevation is about 13,000 feet. Mm-hmm. So, so we started uh, discussing about the trip, and the, the Mount Fuji opens on July 1st. That's when, you know, you could start the climb. And, you know, because during the typhoon scenes, a lot of issues. So, uh, so I wanted to, because you need to get a, a guide, recommend to get a guide. So I wanted to go kind of early, uh, first week in July, if possible. And then my, uh, my uh, son-in-law, went, four of us went, my son-in-law says, you know what? Uh, I have some commitment the first week in July, so I can't go. And my friend says, well, middle of July, I can't go because I have a major contract, you know, annual contract. I don't want to give up. So I said, okay, okay, let's do it at the end of uh, July then. So we decided towards the end of July, and we wanted to do it on Friday, Saturday, so that kind of fits the schedule better. But by that time, we couldn't get Friday, Saturday, so, so we decided uh, best was Thursday, Friday, so, so it was set towards the end of July. And th- during this period of time, I do a lot of network events, and and literally in the beginning of July, four health practitioners showed up in my life. Event one was a Beamer, which is a uh, energy technology Beamer. ASEA is a uh, redox molecule to help you with your, you know, your stamina and so forth. And I then uh, uh, intuitive chiropractic came in my life, and uh, essential oil person. So four of these people came towards the first week in July. So if we had gone first week of July, they wouldn't have been able to work with me. And the essential oil person uh, recommended a peppermint oil for your altitude sickness, which I had issue with on my previous major height. And then the uh, Beamer girl just microbes to improve my uh, immune system. And the uh, the, uh, the chiropractor, and two of the chiropractor recommend different supplements for the height. And uh, a sea of water, again, that's what you mean. So basically, four people showed up that I wouldn't have access to if I decide for the first week in July. So that was pretty amazing, that in itself. So, so we did the hike, and, um, and we went to Tokyo. And that's when we took a bus to the foot of the uh, mountain. So if we had gone in the first week of July, they had a landslide there. In Mount Fuji, so wow. we, we would have been there, but we couldn't do the hike mm-hmm. because there was a landslide. So then, uh, mid July, there's still some issue clearing the mountain. So, so the so everything played out because of the events we did in the, at the end of July, right? So we did that, and uh, everything went well, and then we m- made it to the summit. It was a two-day trip. So the first day was pretty, you know, we're kind of going slow pace because it took about six, eight hours to get to the initial resting point. So we stayed overnight there. And uh, during my stay, I had some excruciating pain in my leg and I was cramping up and I I didn't sleep at all. And, you know, my mind was going crazy like, what am I going to do? I won't be able to finish the hike. I don't want to let people down. You know how you go crazy. So then the morning came and no pain, nothing. I, I felt fine. So we proceeded with the uh, ascent and got to um, 3.34. And then that's when we saw the sunrise. We saw the photo of it. And literally, 
five minutes after the sunrise, just downpour. It's like like buckets of water came down. I mean, just just poured on us. So so they just waited for us to enjoy the sunrise, and it happened. And then the the picture, I think you see a picture, but there was a before the sun came up, there was a donut shape of the cloud, the donut ship, meaning that there was a cloud that looks like a donut in the center was open. So when the sun popped in, came up, it, it, it went right into the donut hole, not left of it, right of it, up the bottom, perfectly fit in that donut hole. It was just, just amazing to watch how it just popped right in there. So, so again, like I said, you know, the rain just downpoured five minutes after the sunrise. Then we, you know, we made it down and got back to our uh, hotel. Mm -hmm. the next day, we were fine, had no pain, no aches, no nothing. And that was because of the sea of water kind of helped me a lot. And then we took a taxi and, you know, I speak the language that I was talking to him about that we uh, hiked Mount Fuji. And he said, it's, it's great that you came back on Friday because on Saturday, typhoon came through and shut the mountain down. So in other words, we wanted Friday, Saturday, but because of, we're going to get Thursday, Friday, so that kind of helped us. And then, you know, at my age, you would think I wouldn't have any, any kind of pains and aches, uh, my knees or something, because, you know, when you're going downhill, you use different muscle group. I had, I took knee support, but I had zero pain, nothing, no pain at all, no, nothing. So it was, everything just played out perfectly, meaning that, I say it's like a million to one that it could unfold the way it did. You know? So that kind of gave me more validation uh, that you just let the universe take care of everything and just let it flow and allow and don't have any resistance and fight it or anything, just relax and everything will take care of itself. So that was a major, although I've been studying law of attraction, but it, this kind of cemented and more and more and more validated that it does work if you allow it to work so you just kind of want to share with you because i think that kind of uh made a full circle to where i'm at today and so i'm yeah i'm at pretty you know peaceful relaxed yeah. nothing seems to bother me because i always tell people there's nothing in the outside world should affect you period nothing meaning that you should be in a state of total relaxation peace no matter what's going on in the external world. You know, whether it's, you know, all the stuff we're seeing right now, chaos out there. It could be, you know, family issues, but it, again, it's, it's all external. So everything, uh, if, you're, if you're internally, you know, strong and uh, stable, then that you, that you should have zero anxiety and stress, period. So you evolve into the place of no anxiety, which is, not an easy place to get to. I'm still working, obviously. There's you know, still things I'm still working on, but I'm getting closer and closer. So, yeah. Anyway, that's my story about you know God's presence in our life. Nice. I would love to ask you. So, when you were growing up in Japan, was your family spiritual or very religious no. or anything like that? No, no. This is all something that is kind of interesting because, like, I grew up with my, uh, and a family where everything was muted, nobody talked, period. My dad didn't talk very much, my mom didn't talk very much. So I thought this was normal, but obviously it's not. 
So we could go, I could go a whole week in my household when I was growing up in Japan and even here in the US where I wouldn't say anything, would be zero communication, like nothing, which is kind of, later it was kind of amazing how our family with my, my mother, when we were on the farm, she had her, her sister and her brother lived together on the farm, separate homes, obviously. And my, uh, and my uh, aunt lived right across the street from my literally, you know, just like you know, 100 feet. And then my uncle was kind of on top of the hill. So he had four boys and I had, uh, and then, and I can remember during the whole time I was there until I went to school in LA, the three families, now we're talking about, you know, siblings, three siblings, never celebrated nothing under the same roof, nothing, period, which is kind of unusual if you think about it. And that's the environment I grew up in, where everyone was muted, we didn't talk, we didn't do anything. Families didn't get along, and you would think for Christmas, or think, oh, something, you would think there's a reason to get together in one household and celebrate, right? So I never experienced that. So that's my background. So I was pretty muted most of my years uh, through high school. The only thing that kept me going was my scholastically, you know, I was up there so that people asked me questions and wanted, you know, that's the only reason why they would talk to me because I could give them the answers, you know. And I was pretty active in sports, so that kept me going, meaning that, you know, I, I survived, basically. But you were more of an introvert. Like yes, I was, yeah, at yeah. that time. Very introvert. Yeah. I didn't say anything, I didn't talk, I didn't do anything. And then it took years. I think I started finally coming out the age, maybe 50, 55, where I started to, because of my spiritual, uh, uh, awakening got me started and now I'm at a place where I could communicate and you know I do a lot of networking events and mm -hmm. be interviewed on other shows so so I got at least I'm able to communicate plus I took uh, uh, what's that part now I can't remember now but anyways so I took the communication skills uh, mm -hmm. that helped me get out of this shell and then as an accountant uh, I didn't do any networking at all you know it was all word of mouth and referral but I never went to networking event so I just talked to my nephew and say hey do you want me to grow my grow the business and he said sure you know this once you go on grow it so I said well I'm glad you're not gonna start meeting with groups and networking so which I did oh yeah Toastmaster I took Toastmaster for a year to get me ready for networking so first I joined BNI Business Network International. It's a networking group and I, I was there for about four years, which you know we had to make presentations so forth. Then I joined Provisors, another more higher level networking group. And then currently I went to Leeds Group in Irvine uh, is another networking group in the Irvine Chamber. Irvine Chamber. Mm -hmm. So so I you know I feel you know very comfortable doing speaking events and I don't get nervous, you know, and, and uh, worry about what am I gonna talk about or stuff like that. It just kind of, I'm at a place where things start flowing in terms of communication. So so it took a long time to get to where I'm at right now, but, but at least I know, you know, both sides of the life, you know. Yeah, that's true. I, I could relate to anybody because I've done it, I've been there, I've seen it, I've done it. and. 
Right. So there's no one that I can't relate to because I've done it personally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I ask you when you were when you came from Japan to California, was that a hard transition for you? No, no. It was because not it wasn't hard transition, meaning that I didn't have anything in Japan, meaning that I was pretty new to. So mm -hmm. coming to America was the same situation. It was more uh, looking forward to something new because then when I came here, we took a boat and landed in San Francisco. From, from Japan, we took actually a large you know, boat. Uh, and then I, my cousins were there across the street. So, you know, at, at least I was able to uh, play with them. So I felt like it was, it was uh, uh, more of an upgrade from my life in Japan. Because I, I was totally muted. I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. And Japanese cultures are different too. Kids don't, can't say anything. They just stay quiet. If you're quiet, don't say anything, it's all oh, you're a good boy. You know? <laughs> so you don't cause any trouble. I think even in America, that was common, uh, you know, mm -hmm. in the past. But right. it's, it's, it's changed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's changed a lot now. They're very vocal and you know, they got yeah. their rights and everything. <laughs> what about in Japan? Do you feel like it's changed too? Or is it still that children are to be quiet? Yeah, it's still changing. Uh, I think because the younger population but they have a, they're, they're, in Japan, they have the samurai culture where they got Bushido and, and then big thing is to, uh, for the elderly, uh, show a lot of respect to the elderly. So let's say if you're 25 super genius, you can't get to the top because there's a hierarchy. So, you know, there's an age, uh, respect for the age. So. So they, they, they don't, if they, they, if they put someone in position that young person above you, then they feel offended. And, and that's a no-no for the culture, meaning that if you bring shame to your family, then in some right culture, you got to commit suicide. Or let's say if you lose your job and you can't support your family, they jump in front of a train so they could get the insurance proceeds. And so there's a lot of that going on because a lot of it's uh, shame. You can't bring shame to your family or to yourself. And in some way, if you did that, then you would. There's a story that's kind of interesting because there was a, a two masters at a sword fight, and they they had hundred disciples watching the sword fight, and their master won, and then showed respect to the uh, the other person that he killed. So all hundred students were dishonored by the uh, by the the masters uh, how he uh, related to the opponent that they all committed suicide because the master dishonored himself stuff like that is pretty big obviously that was way back then but now things are loosened up a little bit but but you can see where. Just like during the World War II, you know, you heard the kamikaze bombers, or they, they would go one way and there's no gas to come back. So this was again uh, committed to the emperor, which was the god in Japan. So whatever he said went, and they were happy to die for the emperor. They did it willingly, you know, not, not, they didn't, they said, well, I don't want to do this, but because of honor, 
they willingly committed suicide for the cause, for the, you know, for the benefit of their. So there's a lot of those cultures that suppresses you, I think, and, and then you, you gotta kind of get get out of that that's holding on to you, right? So it takes a lot of uh, work to do that. Some people may never be able to get away from that because that's kind of holding you back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you feel that you raised your children differently? Yeah, I raised my children differently, and you know, and like I said, my main communication with them was coaching them in basketball. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, more hands-off, meaning that I never told my kids what to do. In fact, I had a lot of conflict with my wife because I would, I was more free, free spirit. So when, when my wife says, as an example. Make sure you're home by 11.30. You know, I said, ah, just one o'clock is fine. <laughs> and she get really mad at me. And then, <laughs> and then, so, you know, you, you heard all of this Asian culture. You had the helicopter mom hovering over. And, you know, they were really strict about doing this, doing that. I was totally opposite, meaning that I never told my kids what to do, meaning what kind of profession they should study. Or I never told my son to become a CPA, you know. I just, I'm, I'm a Gandhian, meaning you be the example that you want to see in others. So I really uh, practice Gandhianism, so I don't tell people what to do. And that's the way I kind of grew up with my kids. So my son, I never told him to become a CPA, but he became a CPA. And my other daughter, again, I never told my kids to do anything. My other daughter uh, went into accounting and finance, studied that. And then she, she's been with me about 14 years now, she works in my firm. My second daughter became a school teacher. And then she did it for about eight years. This is another law of attraction for actually. Uh, she was, she, there was no job in Orange County during the time she graduated from Long Beach. So she went to San Jose and got a job in San Jose. And then after the first year, she wanted to quit already because it, it, it was very, very stressful. And, uh, and uh, but she hung out for eight years and she was literally getting sick because all the pressure from teaching and, you know, all the administration, the parents, you know, all kinds of stuff going on now. You can't discipline the kids, right? So she was, you know, she would come home, great papers, and, you know, I said, what are you doing, you know? And that's somebody else. And no, no, I got she, She's very conscientious too, which makes it even more difficult. So after my years, I just said, look, look, why don't you work for me, you know? And when I, when I uh, asked her to work for me, I didn't have a position for her. I had enough staff. I, I, I didn't even go like, what am I gonna, what is she gonna do? Because I had a full staff. And within, literally within six months of that, my partner of 40 years decided to retire. So that opened up a position for her. So when I offered a job, I didn't have a position for her, but everything just worked down. You know? Yeah, when you were coming from love, yeah, and caring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then she was she was staying in a job that wasn't fulfilling or making her happy. So then she was starting, you know, it affects your health. Oh you know, yeah, yeah. She was really in bad shape with you know digestive issues, stress, anxiety, with all kinds of issues. So so now she's here. She usually comes in at twelve o'clock for lunch, then starts the day. <laughs> Everyone has a different schedule, so I don't have to be as an account as an account. I'm very open, meaning that 
some of the staff, I said, hey, who is Mark, you know? And it's all, oh, he's in Hawaii right now. He never asked me, they just do whatever they want. And then I'm okay. My, my thing, bottom line, as long as the work gets done, I get no complaints from my client, you do whatever you want. And this gives them a lot of freedom and I don't have to micromanage them, right? I don't have to discipline them. In all my 40, 45 years of practice, I was imagining firing, so I only had to fire two people. And one person was my previous partner, the one that I joined the firm, Takenaga, that was his son. And, and then he would, you know, he wouldn't work. He'd just play games, he'd be solitaire on the computer, and I didn't, I don't tell him what else to do, so he just, you know, just did whatever he wanted, he didn't hardly work at all. So finally I told him, you know, I just, I just need to, you know, we have to move on here. And his comment to me was, oh, thank you, you should have fired me two years ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he knew he wasn't working, yeah. <laughs> you know. So, so things like that, you know. So everyone kind of leaves on their own without me. I have another situation, this girl that, you know, working about 15 years, and she hardly worked at all either, you know. And everybody knew that she would play around on the phone. This maybe she worked two hours a day. That was more than most people. For her, it was a lot. And everybody knew that. But I just I never said anything. And one time it was kind of interesting because she was on the conference room, uh, on the computer, you know, searching AOL and doing personal stuff on the computer. And I said, I said, well, don't you think you should do that at home? And she just barked back on me and said, I don't have time at home. So she just continued to do it. Like she never, nobody was afraid of me. To, so they just did whatever they wanted. And then I, I just let it happen. Because there's a higher place meaning for her. So I just let her be. And, uh, and then I, and then eventually she decided to find another job. So I blessed her and, you know, let her get another job and I took care of her and, and even after that. And then, and she was getting pretty nasty with me too, because I think she kind of knew she was going to leave so she could be aggressive with me. And if I tell her to do it, she'll just start yelling at me, basically what she did. Yeah. So, so, so she finally moved on and uh, again, it worked out because that, that created a position for my first daughter to move into her spot. And then, and then you know, I was nice. I gave her a computer, laptop computer, as a going away present. And I even gave her, I, I let her use the keys to my office because she does hula dancing. So she was able, she had a keys to my office. She could come in, you know, go come and go as she will, do her hula dancing. And so I kind of, you know, let her, you know, wished her well and took care of it. And as a result of that. Uh, one thing major happened was that she introduced me to one of her girlfriend's husband, who's an attorney. So we got that client as attorney client. And so from that attorney client, one person left, so he formed another firm of his own. So that's my second attorney client. And then they referred me to another attorney group. So now I got three attorney firms and they generate, you know, good revenues for me and because of her but you know but 
you know how karma just you know I, I I took care of her. I never got you know I'm like I never uh, started barking and screaming at her. I just let her do what she wants. She just left on her own, and and then then all these you know customers came in because of her. You know, so things like that it just all works out. Yeah. Amazing. Could you explain what is a holistic accountant? Okay, basically the, the way that holistic accounting, uh, I branded that was because uh, when I joined the BNI, that's the networking event, and then every person does a 10, 10 minute presentation and we rotate it. So the president at the time said, uh, he wasn't looking at me, he just said, when you do your presentation, make it very interesting. And don't be like an accountant talking about tax law. But okay, I'm a tax accountant, I do tax purpose. What am I gonna talk about? So, so I just thought about what should I talk about? And then light bulb went on and I said, you know, I'm gonna talk about holistic accounting. And it's all centered on law of attraction. So I did, I did talk about taxes, but I sprinkled it with the law of attraction story. So that became very popular. So they were getting kind of, I was a mentor in the group, so I was kind of mentoring them as well, talking about law of attraction, how that works and everything. So holistic accounting uh, was branded because of that event. And what's kind of interesting, you know, as an accountant, CPA were very stereotyped. There's a lot of stereotype stories where we're not interesting, we're closed-minded, they're no fun, they don't do anything. They just got the nose to the grind and working, right? So that's the image they have as an account. So when I used to go networking, but, you know, they always ask, what do you do? And I know I'm a CPA, and then they kind of look at me and they just about face and they leave. You know, so I know what you do. <laughs> you know, fun. Yeah. So, so then when I start telling my holistic account, then they said, because no one's heard of it. There's nobody that's doing it except me. Then then I get their attention, then they say, well, is it holistic account? As I explain, holistic account is all about, you know, accounts that generate financial statement, do the books and give it to the client. And the client doesn't know what to do with it because they only need it because the banker wants or creditor wants it, but they don't even, they just kind of throw it away. So I'm not serving any kind of purpose to the client because anyone could do that. So I'm more about forward looking. The decision you make today would decide what your company is gonna be in the future. So I say things like, I think Starbucks uh, mentors, uh, CEO said this, so, so when you build the people, the people build the company, meaning focus on the people, meaning a lot of these company has a budget for marketing budgets, you know, social media, but they don't really work on the people. So if they, instead of throwing the money away, they will work with the people. And then you get the loyalty and trust and, uh, and absenteeism will go down and they'll they want to work for you. And not only that, if you leave them alone, the creativity will sky high because in a workplace, you know, I've experienced the person too, in the workplace, a lot of its employees work in a state of fear meaning that they're supervised, somebody's yelling at them, well, you should, you gotta get this done. And then they're always worried about getting fired. That's always on top, although they may be doing well, they still think, 
well, they could fire me anytime, right? So when you, when you have fear in the workplace, creativity drops, right? And people don't want to be there. As opposed to if you work in the people and support them, then they want to work for you. And then, then you have sustainability, you reduce your absenteeism, you reduce your turnover, which costs money that they don't think about, you know? So, that, so that's all part of holistic accounting is working with the people and not so much, you know, the technical stuff. And then, then by doing that, I think your company will move forward uh, more profitable and it's more sustainable. So that's the whole idea of holistic accounting is to get the company in a place where uh, it'd be a fun place to be. And the one thing that always kills it is the owner, the shareholder, because they get such big ego that if something runs smoothly, well, they don't need me. You know, run, everything's going smoothly without me. So they like to, you know, kind of rule with the iron hand and, you know, you do this, you do that. And they, they kind of dissipate through the supervisor, managers, everyone's telling people what to do, right? And, and that's the worst place to be, I think. I think if you allow people to be themselves and give them the support, and it's just, I say things like, you know, do some random act of kindness is, is what I call about. It's, it's just like when one of the employees, maybe their parents sick, their kids sick, maybe give them a special gift or like, you know, help them out, right? Give them a small bonus to help. Things like that goes a long ways as opposed to if you have a bonus always on December 15th, they always expect that. So it doesn't mean anything anymore. If they don't get it, they get really upset, right? <laughs> you know, because you I, December 15th, I get a bonus every year. So it doesn't mean anything anymore. So you do random act of kindness. Anytime during the year, someone has an issue with health, the struggle, or whatever, you got to get to know them personally. Then you do something to help them out. You know, either give them additional monies or uh, give them a gift card or whatever. But that, that kind of shows you that you care about your people, right? your staff. Yeah. And if you do that, that goes a long way, long way more. And then it's just like a lot of people, you know, I work and not, sometimes if they get a better pay working with somebody else, they may not go there because they want to be here because it's, it's become the family and they enjoy it. They want to come to work. Yes. They enjoy it, right? Yeah. And then that, that did differ. I had some ideas. I like, you know, like I have an elliptical machine and, and I told him if you do so many uh, in so many minutes, you get a thousand dollar bonus. So then they're on a lefty machine, you know, practice, practice, waiting, things like that. And I have this other idea I haven't implemented yet, but but the other kind of I thought it was kind of ingenious idea was to I was going to get everybody a goldfish. Okay, everybody gets a goldfish. So whoever could keep the goldfish alive, they get a even in the office. Because goldfish, they don't live for a long time, right? So whoever, whoever goldfish lives, is the last goldfish to be alive, I could do, you know, that first, second, third, I will give you a bonus of $1,000 or something. So this will give them a sense of nurturing and taking care of something. A lot of people don't have that. They don't take care of anything, right? They want to be taken care of versus taking care of something. So just even a goldfish, if they, you know, take care of the goldfish, do the feeding, talk to them, whatever. Yeah. And if they live the longest and they get a five thousand dollar bonus or something. 
I thought that was a kind of I like that idea. Creative, creative idea yes. just to help them take care of something. You know? Yes. Because most people don't take care of anything. So they just have a hard time taking care of themselves. They don't look something point. else, right? Yeah. <laughs> so how do you nurture creativity in a work environment? I think like the creativity is that's when you give them complete freedom. Okay. Okay. And then, you know, I mean, for a larger company, I would recommend having small groups as opposed to one large group of people. And so then you kind of uh, get to the place, like I say, where they're free to do whatever they want in terms of creativity. I think, I think uh, Google or Face, one of those companies, they allow one day where they could do whatever they want and you know, make creative ideas. So, so by giving total freedom and, and not overly uh, controlling them, then, and there's absence of fear in the workplace, the creativity will go up. Just by doing that alone, uh, creativity will increase because now they're free to make decision because even if make a wrong decision, nobody's gonna be upset at you because they're so fearful of making the wrong decision that they don't wanna do anything, right? It's better not to do anything and do something and it didn't work out, so then you get reprimanded. So I always say things like success and failure. Yeah. Is my model because I have one one of my employees made a mistake on, you know, some tax return there was a penalty of like eight hundred dollars. So, you know, she she was you know, came to me and said, I said, don't worry about it. It's only money, so what? You know, I didn't say, don't do it again, because that's what most people do, but they already know, so you don't have to do that. You know, the parents, are, they always say, don't do it again, make sure it never happens. No, you don't say that, because they know already, right? Yeah. And, and a lot of people say that. If you, if you notice, when people reprimand somebody, even my wife does to me, say, don't, make sure you don't do it again. Or she should say, make sure you don't drop it. Like, I'm going to drop it. <laughs> right? I mean, they're always telling him what to do. Yeah. That's, you, that's know, you, know, you know how that works. Uh, uh, you yeah. know people. I'm sure you know people. I know people that it's, it's more like uh, they, got, they got this habit, what they call blind spot, where they say it. They don't even know they say it. It just, it just comes out automatically because that's, the, that's who they are, right? Mm -hmm. So things like that, I, you know try not to do things that reinforce negativity. Mm -hmm. So I always say like things, you know, the half, you know, cup is always half full, you know. It's always never empty. Always, there's always a bright side to every event that occurs. That's where in the lobby, it's, it's just contrast. So if something negative happens, that gives you a desire to do something to counteract negativity that happens. So, mm -hmm. so you could bless that negative event and as you know there's you always say people that button pushers they always get on your nerve and they push your button right you know those people that always saying stuff that irritates you but but you should bless them because they give you opportunity for you to deal with that with no judgment no stress no nothing so they are in your life to help you you know evolve so that you should you should uh uh, uh, bless those button pushing in your life because they're there to help you 
you know, evolve, but if you take it uh, negatively, then it's going to bring it down together with them, right? But they start, they start screaming at each other, oh, what are you doing that for? Right? Yeah. So it never works. So you have to get past that. Yeah. And then in a work environment, how do you have like the company be open to people wanting to make changes or wanting to say, have their voice heard? You know, so, you know, because I'm, I love that being open to creativity because it, then you're, op you have all these people who probably have fantastic ideas about how mm -hmm. to run the company better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, yeah, we don't have any formal meetings uh, to talk about these things. So kind of my, my partner, he's my nephew. He's a little bit more hands-on than I am. So there's, so he sees my management style and uh, he's saying, well, we should do this, be a little bit more structured uh, strict and have some kind of guidelines or formula to follow, but mm -hmm. I, never, I never do that. So, so I'm having to just accommodate him, my partner. So we, we, we talk about implementing meetings where people talk about what things they do that make you more efficient in the workplace. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that everyone does that makes them more efficient, right? You know, like my office is totally clean, nothing anywhere. But a lot, a lot of my staff, they got books and paper everywhere, you know. So I try to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> that's, their, that's the way they do things. Yeah, I like I like that. I think there's a saying, um, they're... they're well, it isn't, there, there isn't just one way to do something. So I like right. to think about that because, you know, like what we feel everybody should do something the way we want it to be done. Mm -hmm. So it's better to let, like you say, let that go because there's so many ways to do something. Yeah, yeah because as you know, every person, when they got filter in their mind that they see the world through their own filter. So every, every person has different filters. So when you look at the same thing, they see it differently than I do. So. So they have their own style that's comfortable for them, you know. Obviously, you know, there's certain things that can help them. And, you know, I had my daughter, you know, teach me something that she did that really helped me become more efficient and organized. Mm -hmm. So you always learn from other people. And, yeah. So when you work with companies, do you, um, you do mentoring, I take it, to kind of mm -hmm. help them yeah. run it? Those people that's uh, open to it, you know. Yes. I don't force anything on anybody, so I always get permission. Mm -hmm. I mean, so even with my friends, we have a, uh, a agreement that if there's something that you see that you know you think you shouldn't do, to let each other know, so that we know that so it's not like I'm trying to you know meet up on my friends or something, tell them what to do. So, so we have that standing agreement, so that if you if there's something that we see you doing constantly that maybe you shouldn't do, like, you know, saying certain things at a certain time. So we catch each other. Yeah. Okay. And you, and you can do that with uh, workers also. So there's an understanding that when I say something, it's not that I'm reprimanding you, I'm just pointing something up. And you, don't, you can either do it or not do it. You know? I don't, I never force people to do certain things a certain way. It's mm -hmm. more like they got digested and said, oh, uh -huh, yeah, maybe sounds right. Maybe I should change. But it's their decision, but I don't ever tell anybody what to do. Either. 
do you ask do you ask your employees or um to study about the law of attraction or to do any courses or no you know i don't i don't talk to anybody about law of attraction you just kind of live your life like yeah, that live my life that's the Gandhian. you know might be the change that you want to see in others so sometimes i talk to my nephew you know because he's open to it but and then then there's obviously you know religion and their belief systems are totally different so when you talk about law of attraction it's an area that conflicts with uh, let's say christianity or catholicism so there is a conflict there so so they got to decide on their own um, to make the switch or not make the switch mm -hmm. sometimes those two don't coexist too well yeah do you want to talk about anything else about the law of attraction for people like some main points i know you've touched on it but maybe yeah. like a small summary of how people it would help people to live their life like that yeah basically i think first i have to kind of explain how, how it works so they have understanding so basically our mind is so powerful meaning that you know thought become things from way back then so let's say you have the telephone tower which are linear you know like when, when the telephone tower gets further away the the, the uh, signal gets less and less right unlike the part part of your mind when you have a thought instantaneously people around the world gets it it's, it's there so they are, they received already subconsciously whatever you say it's it's all it's all over the world it, it's out there it's, and then a good example this was all proven by quantum physics and einstein and, and uh, people that geniuses that it does your thought it travels all over the world so they have come on the butterfly uh, you know uh, Flaps his wing, and you know it's heard around the world. Dude, that's the way our, our, our brain thoughts are so powerful. That's why that's what they say things. And be careful what you say, because it does affect people. And that's uh, one thing that you have to remember about how how powerful your thoughts are. That's the way the law of attraction works. So as you know, it's simply stated, like attracts like, right? So it's all about vibration and frequency and energy because everything's vibration frequency even the table the desk the flower yourself everything at the uh, the lowest denominator it's all vibration frequency that's all it is and it's only the little things that make makes you us a human being and this is a table but 90 95 percent of it it's all the same it's all vibration and frequency so so that's where the whole whole guide to law of attraction to work in your life is to keep your frequency and vibration as high every moment in time that's why when you, when you get angry and upset your your energy and frequency collapses that's why law of attraction doesn't work because your energy your frequency is not there so like even good diet prescription drugs will lower your frequency and your uh, uh, energy so you try to get off of drugs and so forth and and then it's your thought process meaning that when, when someone says what's the most important goal you should have 
most important goal for anyone to have is simply being happy. That's it. Then everything else will be a byproduct. Like if you could be happy every moment in time, or be this being appreciation, love and appreciation of like you see a flower and you appreciate the flower, or, or you turn on the keys to your car and the car starts. Do you ever say thank you, car? Right? You appreciate the car that it took me from A to Z. But most people don't do that. But 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 there's so many things that you can be appreciative, all right? So that would again keep your uh, frequency and vibration high. So if, if the, those are the things that you remember is to set your goal just to be happy and, and appreciate things and start uh, doing things. And, and for a lot of people, it's, it's not easy to be in that place of happiness because the life throws a lot of stuff at you, right? That's why uh, when I talk to people, I said, start with something very small that you could appreciate and like I told about taking care of goldfish or taking care of plants or something life that you could take your life. I have, you know, I, I could show you my, yeah, maybe, let me show you my office right now. So you can see how my office looks like. Hold on. Can you see uh, the plants there? Yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, here's my aquarium. See the yeah. aquarium? Here's, yeah. here's my plants here. Mm-hmm. So, so, so those things that you could surround yourself and take care of something is a, is a good place to start. You know, just start with something small, a cacti or anything, it doesn't matter what it is. It's something that you have to nurture water and that will get you in a certain place of uh, appreciation and, you know, to love some. That's why dogs and pets are very important to people. So, but if you don't have a dog and pet, we'll start with anything, you know, plant is a good place to start. So that's why I recommend that you just uh, start being a caretaker of something. Yeah, that's a really and, good point. And that puts you in a start to put you in a good place, you know. Mm -hmm. And like I said, there's so many things that you could be appreciative of here. Mm -hmm. And then once you start doing that, and you you allow things to happen, meaning that you have no resistance in your in your thought pattern. So since you have no resistance, then all these stuff could come in from out there. Just like you know, a lot of people say, I can't, you know, I don't have any money, I don't have, I can't find a mate. By saying that, the energy already collapsed. Right? So so you get to the place of what I call nothingness, meaning that you have no thoughts, no nothing, but you put it out there, meaning I'd like to find a nice mate, blah, blah, blah. And once you do that, you don't have to do it anymore. And then, and then I always say, you know, at, when you first start the process, it's like having a bicycle with training wheels. So you gotta go through the certain steps, like setting goals maybe, and then doing affirmation, you hear a lot about affirmation, setting goals, and and uh, things like that, right? But once you get past that, or, or they think, you know, they say, well, create a collage of things you want. Now you hear that a lot. Yes. It goes, this, this, and that. But once you get past that training, you know, 
those are training rooms. You, you need to just get rid of them. The worst thing you could do is setting goals is the worst thing you could do because it puts you in place anxiety because they always say, pick a day, the time, amount, blah, blah, blah. So you say, I'm gonna lose 50 pounds or 20 pounds by this and this and day. Then they come and nothing happens. Then you beat yourself up because what's wrong with me? I, I can't keep to my diet. Or, then, see, so it becomes a negative. So I always tell people, maybe at the beginning you should set goals, but, but you should try not to set goals. Just, so just gonna, be open. Right. So, so keeping yourself in appreciation for things that you have, mm -hmm. and then um, letting go. Like maybe you set, like you set an intention of something that you would like, just put it out there, but then just let it go. Don't, yeah, like, don't even think about it anymore. Uh -huh. It's out there already. The universe knows that you may, you, you know, you ask, ask and it is given right in the Bible, right? So you just ask and just forget about it. It's already out there. You don't have to ask every day. A lot of people look in the mirror and say, I love you, I love you, you're great, right? No. I mean, some people obviously uh, tell you to do that, but, but you don't need to do any of that stuff once you evolve. At the beginning, you need to, obviously, but you try to continue to progress or you, you, you start letting go of all those, all those uh, crutches, you know. Yeah, and it sounds like when you're dealing with people that you get upset about, it's trying not to have like an expectation of how things are gonna Correct. happen. It's just letting, being in the flow, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly, so so have no expectation, no conditional, no nothing, you know? Like when you, when someone borrows money, don't expect to get it back, you know? You have no expectation, you're giving it freely. You know, they say things that you can't give what you don't have. Like if you don't love yourself, how can you love somebody? you don't have love to give, right? So it all comes from within of what you have to be able to communicate that and uh, to somebody. So that's, uh, to me, that's very critical. It's just like when you have a, a lot, lot of times when you have an office meeting, they have agendas, you know? Yeah, we're gonna do this, 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 and that. And then once you have agenda, it closes to other possibilities that you didn't even know that's out there because you're so focused on your agenda. So I always, like when I meet with new clients and I always tell, just have a conversation with no agenda. We just start talking and it take us to all different places that you never thought to ask. So, so like people go through four phases, they call it. the first phase is unconscious incompetence. You know, you don't know what you don't know. So when someone tells you, then you become consciously incompetent. Now you know that you don't know, right? So then the next step would be um, consciously competent. Now you've done it, so you consciously you know you could do it. So the final stage is where you're unconsciously competent, meaning that you don't have to think about it, you just do it without thought. Just like, you know, tying your shoelaces. You don't have to think about tying your shoelaces. We have to go through the process, but you get ultimate place to get to is unconscious competence. So, yeah. so you, you kind of go through the four stages of learning. So my job is the first stage is to, I, I look like a metaphor, like a crowbar, is you trying to uncover 
or they don't know to ask. They don't know to ask this question because they never thought about it. They don't know enough to ask that question. So that's where the uh, person that is good is a person that could uh, open up the unconscious and confident. So now they know that they need to do this. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they never do it because they, they don't know even to think about doing this. So, so all through conversations, you could start opening up a lot of possibilities that they didn't even think about, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's also staying in the moment and listening. Yeah, staying yeah. in the moment, yeah. And, and, then, yeah. and then a lot of area that I'm not trying to beat up psychiatrists, but the reason why it doesn't work, meaning that they've been seeing psychiatrists, you hear 10 years, 15 years, they keep going. And the reason why it doesn't work is they're always focusing on the past. And you should never do that. Like hypnosis, everything goes to the past. Because when you do that, you're focusing on what the issue you have, so you attract more of that. Because in our channel, whatever you focus on is what you're going to attract. So when they, when they focus on what happened in your childhood, you got beaten up or you know, got abused, then you're reliving that, which creates more issues, right? You focus on it so that more of that when you show up. So that's why it never worked because, because like when you're, you're, you're right here, you're not, you're right here, right? That's a combination. Everything that's happened to during your previous life, current life, it's all, all of that is who you are right now. So you're already here in the now is everything that's happened to you right now. So you don't need to talk about the past because you're already here. And that's already reflect who you are from all the things that happened to you, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you work in the now and going forward, you know. Then you can start seeing some results. I think. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. So you also have a nonprofit that you call Plant a Seed Institute. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, basically what it is, is we it started again at the BNI. I, I, Kind of when you say that, that. B, B&I, what it's is a, that? It's called Business Network International. Okay. It's a global organization. So let's say if you go to Japan, uh, they have a BNI, and then in the uh, the uh, it's conducted identical to the one in the U.S. So they all do the same thing because they have a, a program that works. You know, it's very effective. So. Uh, okay. So business, it's called Business Network International. So okay. that's where I incubate this. Uh, again, not a lot of attraction, meaning that when I showed up, there was one member that was uh, that uh, helps form nonprofit organization. So I started sharing with her, and I share with a lot of the members. And then eight of us got together actually to start the Planet Seed Institute. And it's all about mentoring millennial kids. You know, we have eight months professional program. And uh, and it's been challenging with millennia because they can't sit still for a second. So so we're kind of pivoting right now. And the coronavirus came down, so we're still it's still there. You know, we're gonna continue with it. But it was all about mentoring. And then we have about 15 mentors on the website. It's all everything voluntary, no charge. It's all free. And if they go to a program, we give them free books and. They could take Toastmaster for free for one year, but no one's ever, you know, take us up on an offer. And uh, and then we could do uh, one-to-one mentoring, 
and it doesn't there's no age barrier so let's say you could be 75 years old there's somebody on the website you want to talk to you just call them and have a conversation and there's no charge it's all free and volunteer so the uh about two years ago i had an aha moment and i said look maybe we should do what we call reverse mentoring meaning that we have young kids in the 20s and 30s we mentor elderly like we go to the senior centers because they need someone to talk to how to use a phone the laptop and then if they ask the kids they're just going to blow them off and say hey, you're stupid you know it's easy do this do this it's done so they have no patience right so i think there's a real need for that because the elderly need someone that's very patient with them and then so we want to launch that project once everything opens up and recruit some uh, young people to work with the elderly and i think that'd be easier uh to get into the because there's a lot of elderly senior centers right i think they will want to talk but they're, they're lonely too they want to talk to young people so i, I yeah. think it would be a perfect way to reach out to them yeah yeah i love that so uh, that's the next launch that we're going to work on once everything kind of settles down yeah um, well, why we were talking and why you mentioned the coronavirus, what is your feeling on that? Well, I think there's very, uh, there's obviously both sides to the equation to coronavirus. I think everyone should do their own part to, you know, like social distancing, wearing a mask. And some people have ego issues, so I don't need the mask. And, you know, they, they try to pretend like they're strong and just more feminine type. So it's a lot of egos involved. And then globally, uh, they always say things like, the cure is worse than the problem. Meaning that by doing all the lockdown and restriction, you can't get together. And then that's creating all kinds of issue, anxiety, stress, uh, people drinking drugs and suicide. So once we count exactly what's going on, then I think we can make a better decision. And they, they always talk about the infection rate, but we don't really know what the death rate is. They never talk about the death rate. So so it, it's, it's more like a fear. global fear campaign yeah. to control the, the populace. And I think once we get the uh, therapeutic cure and the vaccine, I think you know, things will always open up. But in the meantime, the draconian lockdown, is, I don't think it's fair to everybody because lives are being destroyed, you know. You know, jobs and restaurants especially, they're never gonna survive and come back anymore. So there's gonna be a lot of human uh, sacrifices and, and they may not make it, you know. Yeah, because here you're doing pretty well and having a good living, all of a sudden it's all gone. Right. Right, and it's hard to, and most people don't have enough uh, investment savings to kind of bridge them over. So, so that's where I think a lot of, and then a lot of divorces, conflict, having to live close together, and you know, so that's all going on too. So. It's it's a it's a, it's a it's a tragedy, you know. I'm not saying the virus doesn't exist. It's out there because people are getting infected. But I think if you do your part, I think we can manage it better. I think. Yes. Yes. Um, I like to ask people what life advice they would like to share. Even though I know you've 
said many. Yes. Can we cover a lot of that? If I was, if I were to just crystallize it into one statement, is again very simple. Be happy. That's it. Keep it very simple. Whatever it takes for you to be happy, do that. You know. Okay. Chase yeah. things that make you happy. Yeah, just and you could you could you could you could go back and put yourself in a happy place. Let's mm -hmm. say you go back to your life from day one and you miss me events in your life that you were told ecstatically happy or just if joy busting out with laughter or fun and then carry that image so whenever you have anxiety stress, just just go to that place so that you could, you know, get your frequency vibration up and be happy. So I, I think the whole key is like, you know, happy, obviously happy is the key, but then love and appreciation is the other underlying factor also. That becomes all part of it, you know. Yeah. Those, uh, are, those are the three words, you know, like happy, love, and appreciation. If you could get to those three words and really understand it, not just to say it, just to say it, but but just just to understand it at the deeper inside level from the heart place you know? yeah is the key yeah once you could get your inner being to embrace those words and really experience it because you know when i, I have a yogi in my office i brought to india and i have a yoga studio i create an office so we have a lot of conversation he's one of the well, one of the best yogis in the u.s i would say he has that kind of ability so we have a lot of uh, discussions every day because he lives right in my office. He sleeps in my office, actually. I have a yoga studio in my office. <laughs> so, so I'm just creating what they call beauty and wellness center right in my office. So, but anyway, so when we talk, and, and then when you have a conversation that touches you, you start getting goosebumps. I haven't taken a survey to see how many times you have a goosebump event. If you could, if you get goosebumps, then you're on the right track. I, I haven't taken a survey. It'd be interesting to find out yeah. how many people actually experience goosebumps. And the only way you can experience it is when you touch a subject, that heartfelt subject, and then you get goosebumps. And we get that all the time when we talk. You get goosebumps uh -huh. all the time because it's all about, you know, like, like let's say, a plant, the leaf, you know, weathers and I have to pick it off the plant. And I would just go to ritual and thanking, appreciating the leaf for bringing clean air to my office, right? And the beauty that it's given me. And I just said, rest in peace. And I throw it away. So see, that gives me goosebumps right now. So when I share that with my yogi friend, he gets goosebumps. So things like that, that touches you, in a certain way, and the more you can have that kind of conversation with people, then you're on the right track, I think. Mm. I've never done a survey to ask people, you know, I don't know if that's a good question to ask, how many I times like you can get in a day. <laughs> but I think that's a good indicator <laughs> yes. of whether you're on the right track, I think. Yes, absolutely. I don't, I don't think anyone, maybe there's someone done research in, in that yeah. area. But it'd be interesting to see how many people experience goosebumps in a daily, daily life, or maybe none. Maybe the whole month with no goosebumps, meaning that they haven't had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation.
or or not it doesn't have to be another person it could be with it could be with nature too yes right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that's such a great point i'm glad you said that and i'm going to ask you a final question what do you feel humanity needs to work on to make our world a better place well i think again it's a it's a big question i have a another project i want to share with you could help with this as well but it, but I think it's obviously being kind to, kind to each other and uh, accepting them as who they are, right? And I always say that even if you, through your filter, this person is evil person, but not to see them as evil, but appreciate them as who they are and they're doing the best in what they know themselves when they grew up, so they need the best uh, love that they could give, but we don't interpret that as love from our filters, but but they're doing the best they can to appreciate them for who they are and not at each other's throat, you know? So we have a lot of, uh, uh, obviously, a lot of opinions of how we should live our life. You know, you got you know all these religions telling you all different things that they're conflicting. So what's what's the purpose of that? They all trying to do what's best for them, and for them it works. So so just leave them alone, you know. And then then there's another project that just came in about six months ago. I've been sharing with people. Actually, people really like it. So it's going to be called the Hundred Year Tour. Okay, what it is is like. When, when a person that's 100 gets to interview, the first question they ask is, what is your secret? So I want to have a group of 100-year-old. Oh, yeah. When I turn 100, I create a nonprofit organization. We'll get sponsored from the health industry because they've benefited by, you know, uh, saying, well, I did this, so I bought this, so that's why I'm healthy, and then financially benefit. So what it's all about is, because people don't have purpose in life. So I, I always, a lot of my elderly clients, you know, it's like every year they come to, hey, what's new? Uh, nothing, I'm still alive. I say, what the hell is that? That's no fun. So they, I call that slow suicide because they have no purpose in life. So if I explain the 100-year tour, you want to go on this tour, then they have to, you know, take care of themselves, right? and then uh, look forward to what this is going to look like. It's going to travel all over the world, right? exotic places. So they want to be on this tour. So in order to be on the tour, they have to you know, make it to 100. So, so we'll have Zoom calls as we get close to 90 and share each other, what are you doing to stay healthy? And then you know, create a community. And I always say the first place people, when I mentor people, you always work what's between the years. You have to work on that first. Because if you don't work on what's between the years, nothing's going to get done, right? So, so another meaning that, if you, you know, they always say the number one killer is stress. You hear that a lot. Number one killer is stress. So that's where we work on the stress factor to coach them, meaning that if, you, if you're judgmental, you get upset at people, you get angry, that's creating stress, right? So by letting them realize that you can eliminate stress in life, 
and they, they become a better person, meaning no judgment, no getting upset, being calm and relaxed to reduce the stress and do whatever it takes to reduce the stress. You know, go on the walks and love and appreciate that we talked about. And I think that will, if it catches on globally, hopefully people be nice to each other because they want to live to be 100 with purpose here. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> so I've been sharing that. Actually, people like that idea of the 100-year tour. So Yes. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's in the process. You know, obviously, I'm not 100 yet, so I got a few more years to work on this to put it together. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I think we need to, you know, have people appreciate their life when they're older. Mm-hmm. And have and not feel like oh I'm old I can't do anything. I mean it's right. it, uh, it's a a, um, a thought process that's mm-hmm. creating that for them. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think yeah, and I love I love the idea of having like the younger millennials working mm-hmm. with and mentoring the older people. I mean just the connection of having the older generation interacting more with the younger generation. Yeah, because the other thing I might have mentioned is. Uh, uh, the second nonprofit, which I started already, called Ashram, like a healing center. Mm-hmm. So we're going to create a place where uh, people could stay there and work there. We're going to have, you know, farming, uh, animals, every color, rainbow color, trees and bushes. And they could have a tiny home that they could stay there, buy into it. And then we have yoga and other modality health real quickly. And what, what it does, because a lot of times I see such a conflict between the elderly and the kids so the kids don't want to be with the elderly. in other words if they go to assisted living they don't want to go there right it's it's depressing so can you imagine coming to a place where you got beautiful colors all the farms vegetable gardening waterfalls and then your grandpa and grandma's there and the kids will come to greet them and they can play with the animals do farming and all kinds of activity right so they want to come to our place so we want to start something and you know be a template for globally, so that that would uh, address older population where the options aren't very good. The home care, you got assisted living, and you know boarding care, and so I think this is a place where they could come to, and then they can buy into our project and have their you know employees or families come and they could do yoga and you know learn about farming and all that stuff. So. Yes. So that's my second nonprofit on the work on that one. I think for help humanity as well. Beautiful. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you, Sam. It was a pleasure. Uh, you know, I appreciate you taking time to interview me. You know? You're welcome. Okay. I loved everything that you shared, and I know it will help people. Okay, great. Hi there. Thank you for listening. I truly appreciate it. My goal is to unite people in understanding each other. I love learning from other people and by each person sharing about their life and their perspective, it can help each of us to realize that we all share similar dreams and hopes for a better world. To help this podcast reach more people, kindly leave a review on iTunes or social media and share with others. And if you would like to be interviewed or have suggestions, you can email me at laney at oneinterviewoneworld.com. Laney is spelled L-A-N-I-E. Thank you so much.